Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm a beggar named Brad. And I found bread. The bread of life. Yeshua the Messiah. And I want others to consume this bread that they may be strengthened by grace. This episode, Entertaining Angels. Props to the newsboys for the title to this episode. I knew I'd get around to those guys at some point. Contemporary Christian rock staples the newsboys out of Mululaba. Mululaba. That's fun to say. Mululaba, Australia. That's where they're out of. Seriously, try saying that. Mululaba. It'd be cool if I was from there. But I'm not. But they are, the Newsboys, that is, and they have been around since 1985, and they've had a lot of lineup changes over the years. Three different vocalists, actually. John James was the original vocalist, and Peter Furler was longstanding in that position. Current frontman, Michael Tate, not of Mululaba, by the way. He uh, actually was out of DC Talk. That's right. Came from DC Talk fame. Michael Tate did. And he is the current lead vocalist. The original band name was The News. Simply The News. But they changed it. Again, this is 1985-86. And they had to change it so that no one would confuse them with Huey Lewis and The News. It's hip to be square. Yeah, wouldn't want to be confused with them. And so I guess they figured, like, maybe the news went off on their own at some point and left Huey Lewis behind. So they didn't want there to be any confusion, I guess. Maybe that's a thing. At any rate, the Newsboys have a significant following. They're all over contemporary Christian music stations. And they've had some really good songs throughout their career. Um, I gave them a lot of run when I was in Christian radio. And I, I listened to them more in their earlier years, but I still bump them every so often. And occasionally they do put out a song that doesn't really make so much theological sense. The cross has the final word. Um, no, fellas, praise Adonai, the cross doesn't have the final word. If it did, we would be the most pitied among all men. Baruch Hashem, praise the name, bless the name. He raised them, he raised from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, Yeshua, the Messiah. So yeah, the empty tomb speaks louder than the cross. Sorry. Anyway, I'm not going to fixate on that. All in all, good band, some good songs. It's not about the music after all. It's about the message, entertaining angels. So we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 13, which includes a statement about entertaining angels unaware. Though that's not the primary focus of this episode, we will touch on it. Um, For now, a little bit of context of this letter to Hebrews, to the Hebrews, then we will dig into the specific passage. So context, who wrote this letter? We don't know. We actually don't know the author. There's there's no superscription identifying the writer, so we don't know who wrote it. Um, There there had been speculation, and probably still is, uh, that, that Paul was the writer. But even second and third century experts refuted that fact. And there's, there's a lot of reasons to that, a lot of things to connect to that, why it wouldn't, was not the Apostle Paul. And I 
I definitely, well, I do not believe that it was Paul. Um, the two most probable authors, specific names are Timothy, a disciple of Paul's, or Clement. And if you ever read or listen to the epistle of Clement, he quotes a lot and makes a lot of references to the the letter to the Hebrews. And so it's thought that maybe he was the author or is the author um, or that he just had real close ties to whomever was the author. And if it's not them, then uh, then it would be certainly another disciple of the original, the apostles. To whom was this letter written? It was written to Jewish or Hebrew followers of the Messiah Yeshua who lived in close proximity to Jerusalem, maybe Judea, but they lived in close proximity to Jerusalem. Um, And when was this written? It was written in the year probably 63 or 64 Common Era. And it was written before the Jewish rebellion, which that occurred in the year 66. And it also occurs, this letter was written prior to the destruction of the the second temple, which happened in the year 70. And we know this because the temple services and sacrifices are discussed in the present tense to these, to the uh, readers or to the audience of this letter. And which means they were still happening at the time the letter was written. So the temple was still standing. And there's no mention of the rebellion or the temple destruction, which were both really big deals and would have garnered some kind of mention from this writer. Why was this letter written? So I'm going to skip over uh, a lot of the common evangelical explanations for this letter because there are too many inconsistencies in those theories. Um, I just, and time would fail us if we addressed them all. So the purpose of this letter is to exhort and encourage Jewish followers of Yeshua who have been kicked out of the temple worship practices by the corrupt Sadducean priesthood. Messianic Judaism is a sect of Judaism. It's right there in the name. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, so they forbade these followers of the resurrected Messiah Yeshua to attend the temple services. This had huge emotional, spiritual, and social ramifications. The temple services play a significant role in the faith, and these people have been kicked out and are told only way that they can return and participate in the temple service practices is to renounce the name of Yeshua, to deny their faith in him. Some of their leaders, including James, the brother of the master Yeshua, have been killed and uh, for not recanting their faith in Yeshua. James was thrown off the parapet of the temple, and when that didn't kill him, He was then stoned, and when he still had breath in his lungs, a guard came up and smashed his skull with a club because he wouldn't renounce the name of Yeshua and still wanted to participate in the temple services. So the recipients of this letter 
were conflicted and scared. They were being pressured to renounce their faith so that they could return to the temple services. So the writer of this letter goes to great lengths to encourage these people, and he has methodically built an incredible case, layer upon layer, precept upon precept, to reinforce whom it is they have declared their faith in and the importance of maintaining that profession of faith in Yeshua the Messiah. Hebrews is a favorite of mine to study and to read. There's so much here. And regardless of how many times I have gone through it, something new seems to always appear. So I do, I encourage you, take the time. It's it's a relatively short letter. Take the time and read through it, 13 chapters, and read it in its full context. So, um... Yeah, this is, once again, this is a favorite of mine, and uh, there is so much application, vital application, for present-day followers of the Master, Yeshua the Messiah. It is, it was not written to us, but it absolutely was written for us, and the application is incredible that we read throughout this letter. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm just going to look at a couple of points of interest in that passage. There's a lot going on there. I'm actually going to start back up a couple verses and start at verse 28 of chapter 12, Hebrews 12, 28, just to kind of keep the flow going. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Let us show gratitude. Through this, we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as if you were fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you also were suffering bodily. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your lifestyle free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For God himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So that with confidence we say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What will man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Yeshua the Messiah is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods that have not benefited those occupied by them. We have an altar from which those serving in the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holies by the Kohen Gadol, high priest, as an offering for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, to make the people holy through his own blood, Yeshua also suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come. 
Through Yeshua, then, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips giving thanks to his name. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as ones who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us that we are convinced, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. I especially urge you to do this, so that I may be restored to you sooner. Now may the God of Shalom, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of an everlasting covenant, our Lord Yeshua, make you complete in every good thing to do his will, accomplishing in us what is pleasing in his sight. Through Messiah Yeshua, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we will pause there. There's a couple other verses, kind of the uh, the final greetings and such. But that gets us through to verse 21 of Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to take a look at a few things in this passage of the letter. As I said, there's a lot going on. And so there are three uh, main points that I'd like to look at in this episode. And so we'll take, at the, take a look at those from this passage, again, of the letter to the Hebrew followers of Yeshua. So verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so some have entertained angels without knowing. So this certainly speaks to brotherly love, which the chapter opened with, loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we read of Abraham showing hospitality to three strangers. It is later revealed they were angels of Adonai. And he showed them hospitality, preparing food for them and having having Sarah prepare a meal and so forth. We're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. So meeting the needs of others is an important mitzvah reflecting our love for others and our love for Adonai Elohim. The added benefit is, yes, you may actually be serving a member of the heavenly host, as Abraham did. We should not look at the requests for help from strangers as an inconvenience or come up with ways to justify why we won't or shouldn't help them. We should do what we can and trust Adonai, reflecting his love towards everyone. So I'm going to jump down a few verses from there and take a look at one of the passages that have in the past confused me a little bit as I tried to kind of make sense out of it, um, out of them. It's verses 9 and 10. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods that have not benefited those occupied by them. We have an altar from which those serving in the tabernacle have no right to eat. All right. So I have in the past read this and assumed the writer is addressing any types of strange teachings that would lead people away from Yeshua. 
which is certainly good application. It's a solid warning. But by the context of the letter and the way that this is written, the writer appears to have some very specific, strange teachings in mind. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods that have not benefited those occupied by them. We have an altar from which those serving in the tabernacle have no right to eat. So, Real quick, I'll say that a common teaching of the modern church is uh, that this is saying the food laws have no place in the lives of the followers of Yeshua and that the communion meal has replaced the temple sacrifices. Some denominations calling communion a sacrament, uh, the Eucharist, even referring to it as a sacrifice. The Catholics teach Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. There you go. That's a good one. Use that for a vocabulary word. What that means is that the bread and wine served at communion actually become the flesh and blood of the Messiah. Okay. So, I can say with confidence... What I just mentioned about about some of the common modern teachings, that is not what the writer of this letter is referring to at all. Once again, we have to look at this letter from a Jewish perspective as it was written by and to Torah, observant Jews. And these two verses must be kept in the context of the entire letter. Again, please read the whole thing. And, and and see how this flows and how it fits in there. So, to explain my understanding of verses 9 and 10, let's first consider a present-day practice of some denominations, and we'll, then we'll make a comparison. So, if in some denominations, if someone is denied communion, and we've actually seen some recent examples of this being discussed anyway, with some politicians being refused communion by the Catholic Church because of their support, the individual's support for abortion, those politicians. And so they're being refused communion. So communion in some denominations, again, is it's called the Eucharist, a sacrament. So the taking of communion, according to some, it is taught to be one's access to God's grace. You must take it at least once a week, but every day is better, in order to have access to grace. If a church denies you communion, you are excommunicated from that fellowship, and you are now outside of God's grace. All right, so that is, again, that is a teaching in some denominations. So we're going to take that concept back to the first century in Jerusalem. And we'll make it, make the comparison here. Uh, so we're going back to the first century, Jerusalem, the Levitical sacrifices. So there are two offerings, two of the Levitical offerings, which are the sin offering and the peace offering, wherein the person who brought the offering is to eat a portion of it after it has been offered to Adonai on their behalf. 
Additionally, there are offerings the priests make, and they are to eat a portion of it. So there are a couple of strange teachings going on at this time. And by strange teachings, it means these things are not found in the Torah, not even in the Talmud of the sages or the rabbinical writings. So these are strange teachings that were going around. And the teaching said, if the priest did not eat of the offering made on your behalf, your sins were not atoned for. You are outside of grace. Also, if you do not eat of the sin or peace offering, then you are outside of grace and have no peace between you and Hashem. Add to that the Passover offering of the lamb. If you don't eat that, if you are denied that, you are outside of fellowship with Hashem and a cast out, excommunicated from the people, the nation, Israel. So, these people are being refused the opportunity to offer sacrifices, and by that, they are unable to eat of the certain offerings that they, that they are told to because of the corrupt Sadducean priesthood. The strange teachings regarding foods over grace are being used to convince these followers of the risen king that they are now outside of the grace of Hashem because they are not making their offerings, nor are they eating of these offerings, those specific ones. And so the writer of this letter insists those strange teachings and doctrines are not true and that it is grace, namely the favor our master Yeshua found in the eyes of Hashem to benefit to our benefit, which strengthens our hearts, not foods. So it is the favor, the grace, the favor our master Yeshua found in the eyes of Hashem to our benefit. Hallelujah. And that is what strengthens our hearts, not foods. He then goes on to say, we have an altar from which those serving in the tabernacle have no right to eat. And so what does he mean by this statement? I'm going to tell you that he is not saying we have communion, which is better than the Levitical sacrifices. That's not what he's saying here. Throughout this letter, the writer goes to great lengths to make the comparison between this present world, Olam Hazeh, and the coming kingdom, Olam Haba. This is the same idea. That's exactly what he's doing here. This is kind of the final exclamation point he is putting on this, uh, on that facet of the letter. He contrasts the temple services, which are a shadow of the good things to come. He contrasts those, the shadows, with the actual good things, which are to come the heavenly reality, the coming kingdom of Messiah. The altar of the heavenly reality is superior to the altar in this present world because it's the real versus the shadow. The shadow is not bad. It's the silhouette of what is to come. It serves its purpose in this present world until the world which is to come arrives. The writer, focusing on the eternal, messianic priesthood 
the order of Melchizedek, he's encouraging the readers that through Messiah, the eternal altar is still theirs, even if the priests of this present world refuse them the temple services. So keep the faith in Yeshua. Stand firm. Strive to maintain your faith. Encourage one another. The more you see the day approaching, do not lose hope. That's what this writer is saying here. And for the next point, I'd like to address, uh, well, we'll take a look at verses 11 through 14. Verses 11 through 14 in Hebrews 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holies by the Kohen Gadol as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, to make the people holy through his own blood, Yeshua also suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come. Amen. After an animal is offered, certain of its remains are taken outside the camp, ashes in some of the remains. That is to say, out of the temple and out of the city limits of Jerusalem. They're removed. The writer points out, this is how Yeshua was offered, outside the temple and out and outside the city, outside the gate. The writer says, let us go to him, Yeshua, outside the camp and bear his disgrace. It's a disgraceful thing to be disfellowshipped from the temple. Yeshua suffered that disgrace and greater. Jewish followers of him were being so disgraced, and the writer tells them to go outside the camp, meaning follow and adhere to the teachings and actions of the Master Yeshua. He went first as, as the one being disgraced. And that even being outside the camp, the temple, they are in good standing if they hold to their faith in Yeshua. And this remains true today. For Messianic Jews, they're not welcome among their Jewish brethren. Or, nor are they welcome or received well in the church, who really wants them to stop being Jewish and doing Jewish things, and just believe in Jesus. It's kind of all, all we want you to do. Stop doing that other stuff. So in a nutshell, they're being told to be in the church, to be accepted in here. You're no longer accepted among your, your, your Jewish brothers who are not following the Messiah. And so to be accepted here and to be saved, you have to stop doing stuff like, you know, obeying the Torah. Of Adonai. So to be saved by God, you need to stop obeying him, is what they're being told in many churches. So the Jewish followers of the Messiah find no quarter in either camp. So they go out to Yeshua. They go outside the camp. And this is true also with Messianic Gentiles, of which I am one. We're not accepted in the Jewish community because though we worship the God of Israel, we believe 
that Yeshua guy is the Messiah. And then, so we're not, we're not accepted into that camp. And then the mainstream evangelical church really is uncomfortable with us, deeming us either Judaizers or legalists. And so we bear the disgrace of Yeshua outside the camp, mostly in home fellowships and small synagogues and and so forth. So I believe in verse 14, the writer unknowingly actually speaks a prophecy. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come. So I can certainly see he is making that continued comparison of this present world and the world which is to come, seeking that city, the new Jerusalem, which is to come. Just a few years after this letter was written would start the Jewish revolt against Rome. And then a few years after that, the destruction of the temple and the dispersing of Jews from Jerusalem. Here, we have no lasting city. Amen and amen. And again, I believe there, there is a prophetic nature to what he wrote in this letter. That we have no lasting city here. We're seeking the one which is to come. And several years later, the destruction of the temple and dispersing of Jews from the city Jerusalem. And so one final statement to look at for this episode is in the next verse. Through Yeshua, then, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips giving thanks to his name. This is a beautiful sentiment. And these believers are being encouraged that though they cannot offer sacrifices in the temple, they may offer the sacrifice of praise to Hashem. And this comes from Hosea chapter 14 and verse 3. Take words with you and return to Adonai. Say to him, take away all iniquity and accept what is good so we may repay with offerings of our lips. So it is notable that in the Hebrew language, the word where this says offering of our lips, offerings of our lips, it actually reads bulls of our lips in Hebrew. And we know bulls were used in offerings. So the writer of Hebrews is making the connection that since the readers could not attend the services, they could still offer the sacrifice of praise. And it being a sacrifice, this includes a heart of repentance before the king, because why were these sacrifices offered? They were offered, many of them offered for Repentance, guilt offerings, sin offerings, and then, of course, there's peace offerings, fellowship offerings, and purification offerings. And so that's the sacrifice of the praise that they're giving in, in lieu of being able to attend the services and offer those sacrifices because they're, they've been run out of the temple. They can offer this sacrifice of praise. And there is, I mean, there's, there's more to that. The the sacrifice um, and the temple the temple services, um, you know, do not neglect doing good and sharing. For which such sacrifices God is well pleased. So continuing to do mitzvah, the 
the good deeds found in the Torah, that's a, that's a continual part of the sacrifices as well. God is pleased with those sacrifices when we do good and we share with one another. Now, it is um, interesting that, again, several years later, the very scripture in Hosea is what helped save Judaism. It was that verse that became the foundation of the synagogue services, which, of course, could not include sacrifices because synagogues are not the temple. So, Hosea 14.3 was used to establish the services conducted in Jewish synagogues, which remain to this day. Pretty incredible. How amazing is our God. As always, study to show yourself approved of God. I appreciate your time and hope that this has blessed you. Continue to show hospitality to strangers so that you can show them where the bread of life, Yeshua the Messiah, may be found. And you never know, you might just be entertaining angels. Let's go out and give them heaven and let's continually offer that sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of doing good and sharing with others. Let's do those things that he will be honored in our lives. Until next time, may the favor our master, Yeshua the Messiah, found in the eyes of Hashem, be bestowed upon you, and may the peace of Hashem that passes all understanding be yours. Grace and peace. Chain Shalom.